Welcome to the Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. As part of our continued rebrand, we're releasing a best of series, our previous podcast. This is one of my all-time favorites, Lynn Perkins from Urban Sitter. She is just fantastic. Tons of actionable advice here and lots of good stories from her boardroom. Uh, Lynn was such a pleasure and she's a friend outside of the podcast. So thanks for coming on, Lynn. And I hope the audience, I hope you guys really enjoy this. Talk to you soon. Welcome to Lynn Perkins of Urban Sitter. So glad to have you. Thanks for having me. So how's your day going? What's going on? So far, it's going great. I um, am enjoying the nice San Francisco weather and wishing we were doing this outside. Ooh, that would be a technical challenge, but we should maybe I'll look into that for next week. Uh, so Urban Center, one of my favorite companies. I met you a long time ago, right when you're getting off the ground. You started it with my friend Andrea Barrett. Can you just tell us like how you, how you started the company, like how you had the idea? Well, it came to me. I had taken some time off after my previous job, and it was the first time since I had kids that I had actually connected with the parent community. And I found it fascinating that moms would use their mother's group or their online listserv to find recommendations for everything from childcare to vacation spots and types of cars they should buy. And at the same time, I saw a lot of online businesses using social recommendations to show you what products you might like. And I felt like if there's ever a service or a product where I wanted a friend's recommendation, it was in the childcare space. That makes so much sense. It was kind of like unstructured, right? Like people would just go on like the Golden Gates Mother's Club online or it was never like in a structured way though, I feel like. Exactly. I might go to Golden Gate Mother's Group, which is a local group of thousands of moms and one person might recommend a nanny and then I might go to my Noe Valley Moms Listserv and and find somebody. And I found it fascinating that people were never going to know that person in the group and yet for some reason because that person was part of the same group they belonged to it felt more trusted than um, meeting somebody that was a total stranger totally and this is like the early days of Facebook connect right like what this is like was Facebook connect even out or what where was that it was out it was pretty early on and Andrea my co-founder and I decided to take a risk by using Facebook Connect as the way that you had to sign up for Urban Sitter from the get-go. And we knew this would potentially limit um, sort of like the, the traffic from top of funnel to sign up, but we also knew that the real value in the product was going to be in this connection component. And it's proven to be one of the, the best aspects of our business. Yeah, because I remember, like, I remember seeing the demo or like the concept, like the concept stuff, and I was like, Oh wow! This is like one of the first cool applications of Facebook Connect I'd seen. It's it's, and I don't I don't think I really, like I'd seen companies that were spending money on Facebook and like you know getting viral growth, but I don't think I'd seen anyone like use Connect really that like the way you guys are using it. Oh, thanks. We now have LinkedIn as well. Oh wow! Now I do remember a uh, young, very handsome investor guy talking to you and being like, I don't know. This, I'm talking about myself, by the way, audience. Uh, <laughs> it's okay to laugh. Uh, and so I remember being like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work because I've been told by all my married friends with kids that no one shares babysitters. It's true. And in the very beginning of Urban Sitter, parents had that fear. Why would I want my friends to see which babysitters I've used? And very quickly, parents realized that, oh, aha, uh-huh, not only do I have my one sitter, but I also get all of her friends that babysit and I get all my friends sitters. And so, you know, you might have three sitters that are your favorites, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be available when you need them. So you really need um, access to a wider pool of sitters that are equally qualified and ideally connected to either your favorite sitter or one of your friends. I, I remember you telling me that and I was it was just like it was one of those moments where it was like hard to get in my head and I was like oh I don't know 
but I'm so glad you didn't listen to dumb me and you actually like went out and did it. One of my um, proudest moments was when one of my friends who's like the Uber connector, <laughs> I told her about um, Urban Sitter and she said, well, I would never need it. I have six sitters. Um, they're always available. And then before we had even launched, we were in sort of like a private, I would even call it like an alpha. She texted me one day and said, can I use your service? My sitters aren't available. <laughs> and she's become one of the biggest, you know, offline Tell her friends about it, advocates. Oh, that's awesome. Now, what what markets are you guys in? Are, I know you're in, I mean, San Francisco is our home market, and I've seen you guys grow up inside of San Francisco. Are you, have you expanded, or where we are you? We have. We started in San Francisco, but we're technically in 60 cities now. Oh, my um, gosh. No way. Yep. We focus on 10 markets, though, and next to San Francisco, I would say they're the big ones that you can imagine. So New York, Chicago, L.A., D.C. What have you seen? Like, So let me, go, let me take a step back. What did you – I think you – we're pretty smart about like making sure it worked in San Francisco. Like, what did you figure out? Like, how did you, cause I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are building marketplace companies who can actually learn a lot from urban center. It's true. I think with a marketplace business, you are either going after verticals, so types of services you're offering, or in our case, you're going location by location. And credit to my other co-founder, Daisy Downs, for creating a playbook from the get-go. So that when we went from San Francisco to New York, we had a playbook of what had worked here. And we've had to modify it slightly by market, but for the most part, it works. And and we have an eight-week rollout where we can go in and build brand credibility through the people that we partner with. So these would be the moms groups in New York, or the soccer club in Chicago. And when we go into a new market, we don't really have any brand credibility. So we look to these partners or these affiliations that we build on our site to help give us that credibility. That's super smart. So you you kind of have like, you know to reach out to the equivalent of the Golden Gate Mothers Club, whatever that LA thing might be. It might be, you know, the Soccer Moms Club or the Soccer Dads Club or whatever it is. But there's some some groups for you to reach out to. Exactly. And then on the sitter side, every market has sort of the, the repeat part, which is the college students, recent grads. Um, and then each market has its quirks. So, for instance, it's not uncommon to see sitters in New York that are trying to make it on Broadway or um, in L.A. They're trying to make it in Hollywood and they have flexibility in their schedules and their recent college grads and perfect for what we're looking for. That's amazing. I mean, I, I would, I always say this about like Uber and I think urban service, I would, didn't do much babysitting, but my fiance did. And like, this would have been how we would have put ourselves through college. You know, like I worked at a job making like six bucks an hour in college when I could have been making 15 or 20 bucks. Now maybe I don't even know what babysitters make these days, but something substantially more than what I made. It's true. And they, you know, I hear great stories from parents about meeting wonderful sitters, but when a sitter comes to you and says, because of Urban Sitter, I was able to help my parents with tuition or buy my first car. It's really inspiring. That's awesome. Now, when you moved, what was your second uh, market? Was it LA? I was trying to remember that the other day. It was either San Diego, New York, or Chicago. Uh, um, I think it was Chicago, actually. Did you have, I, and I'm kind of putting myself in your position, like, did you have like a ton of anxiety going into the second market? Because like, you knew I was working in San Francisco. Were you like, oh my gosh, what if this doesn't work? Like, how, what were you thinking? What was going through your head? I was a little nervous, but we made sure that we had a really high quality supply side before we launched. So for us, it's not necessarily about quantity. We don't need a lot of sitters in a market to get going. We actually just need an incredibly high quality group of sitters that are connected to each other. So those connections are key. So we would never just go to LA and say, okay, we're rolling out in LA. (laughs) Um, Instead, we would say, we're going to focus on the West side and specifically from, we're going to focus on Santa Monica, Pacific Palisades, Brentwood, and we're going to focus on UCLA to Pepperdine to Loyola. And we'll get sitters from those places and parents from that 
um, area and then it'll grow after it, that. Did you build like a queue or did you have like soft promises that people would sign up or like how'd you, or did you actually onboard them and then. So on the sitter side, we would onboard a quantity of them, a small quantity to get them going. And then once they had been reviewed by people we knew in the area or parents that were in our sort of early tester group, um, then from there it would really just take off. Wow. Now you did something early on, which I, which flies in the face of what everyone will tell you what to do when you're starting a start. Cause you're, you're like a business person. You're not like a technical, you know, computer scientist or anything like that. What did you do that everyone told you not to do? The biggest issue our early investors had with our business was that we outsourced our technology. I, I should say I, one of my co-founders is technical and he led a team of people that were not part of our company and our investors absolutely hated this. <laughs> so like, how'd you get them over the hump? Like, cause I, I've heard so much people always say like, oh no, 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 only start with the technical co-founder. And that, that is kind of like Silicon Valley's playbook, but there's all these super smart business people like you. And I would, I, I don't know if I'm super smart, but I put myself in that category who like want to do something, have a really cool vision for the future, but it's hard to recruit a technical co-founder. And like, I feel like you're better off working, going forward and, and being scrappy and building something than spending six months finding the right person. And the technical co-founder that we had, he was great. And because I had trust in him since I'd known him for a long time, I trusted him to bring in consultants that could get the job done for us. And as a result, we were able to do mobile much faster. We were able to add payment much sooner. I think had we looked to hire each of those skills in-house, it would have taken us longer. And so instead, what we had was the ability to, once the business had taken off and we'd actually sort of had like proof of concept, then we could hire in to replace the skills that those consultants had one by one. Mm -hmm. And it, mm -hmm. it allowed us to really pick better talent yeah. and take our time. Was there ever a moment where you like had to look someone in the eye and sell them like one of your investors and just sell them on this and be like, no, this is how we're doing it. Oh, every board meeting. I almost just decided <laughs> to put it. I, I feel like it should have just been in like the administration topics at the end. Like, just like slide four. Okay, investors tell Lynn that you don't like how this is going with, you know, that you don't like the contractor idea. Lynn, tell the investors we'll revisit it next time. Um, and that was kind of how it went for a while. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. Now you mentioned, so Andrea Barrett is a friend of ours and she's, she's like the product. What's her title and what does she do there? She's VP of product. So um, my co-founders have very different skills and that was something I learned having started started other companies that this time I wanted to found this company with people whose skills complemented mine rather than overlap. Also, I don't really have a lot of outside <laughs> skills. <laughs> don't so say it was sort that. of a, oh a necessity. Um, so Andrea runs product, Daisy does marketing, and Hadar, who was our original technical co-founder, led technology. Oh. Now talk about like I think and I think it was probably a, a super team effort, but I feel like Urban Sitter was one of the best companies at PR. I feel like you projected you were a bigger company than you really were for a really long time. Like, and I'm, that's and, a huge and, compliment. Uh, and today perhaps as well. <laughs> Isn't that always the goal? Like, did you sit around, like, you know, how did you guys come up with that? How did you, and I love this concept of the playbook. Maybe you can explain that a little bit. I will. So the playbook is kind of separate. On the PR front, I think one of the things we did well was we, worked with a woman who had previously been at a big firm but was now out on her own and so we were able to get more we could put more get more time for the dollars we had to mm -hmm, spend mm -hmm. and some things that she's really done well for us is number one um, we really leveraged the infographic because we're transaction based oh, we get a lot yeah. of interesting data from parents and sitters and so we were able to offer this expert data on rates and um, times that parents were spending out things like that so the infographic really worked in our favor I've seen that like I've seen the like average babysitter salary 
salaries across the country. Right, you and know? it gets picked up by everyone from CNN yeah. to the Today Show. Yeah. We're also, you know, she kind of looked at what our strengths were. were we, we have a lot of female founders, so we can get press in that side. This on-demand economy, we serve both the parents and the sitters who are looking for flexibility, so we have that story angle as well. Um, on the lifestyle front, the parent-sitter component, uh, you know, family publications are often writing about childcare. So we sort of honed in on four areas, and then we also looked at times of the year when news was at a, a lull, and so being able oh. to have stories ready when it's ne- not necessarily a busy news time is really helpful. That's um, super smart. And then on the playbook, what we've done is we have sort of an eight-week plan where we know, okay, week one, we go into a market, we find the person who's uber-connected in that market, and they help us figure out what affiliations we need. At the same time that we're trying to partner with those groups, we're also recruiting the top sitters from the college in the area. Week four might look like getting very hyper-connected parents to meet with us and learn about the company, interview some of the sitters we'd met, and then it goes from there. So as the playbook expands, it becomes less grassroots meeting people one-on-one, and then eventually moves into something that's more, much more online acquisition focused. Do you ever like cross-pollinate people from like one market to the other? Like Oh, absolutely. It's one of the best things about our supply side, and, I, and now more recently, very noticeable. So um, I'll give you an example. So I try to meet sitters in every market when I travel for work, and there were a few sitters I met in New York that I thought were just amazing. And recently, I noticed that one of those New York sitters who had become a top sitter in New York had moved to San Francisco. And what's nice about it is that she could take her track record with her. So her, Oh, because the rating system was totally portable. Right. So on, you know, when she moved to San Francisco, all of a sudden there she was, a sitter with 20 repeat oh families, my gosh. Yeah. 35 star reviews, and she was able to get jobs here within days. That's amazing. Now, you guys are all, it's you, Daisy, and Andrea all have, you kind of like embody the company, right? Like you're all women with kids, which I, which that was when we first met. I was like, hey, I, you know, I love you. You're like one of my favorite people. And like, you get after it, which I love, which is a huge compliment. But I also thought like, it was so cool that you embody the company. Like, but on the flip side of that, do you ever, did you guys ever have like any of those dark nights where like you all have kids and you're like, oh my God, our kids are going crazy at home. We've got like, how did you cope with that? Well, first of all, I would say that not only did I start this business because I thought there was a huge opportunity. Let's be honest, it's kind of self-serving. <laughs> um, so on those dark nights, I would book a sitter for the next day to give myself a break. Oh, um, that's super smart. No, yeah. but the good news is I would say that you know, you are always juggling career and work. And, and luckily, because there are three of us, we seem to have our ups and downs at different mm. times. So, for instance, I actually had a child um, during urban during this run of Urban Center. Um, and I had to take maternity. Well, I didn't have to. I took maternity leave for a period of time. And, and then right after that, one of my other co-founders had a child. And we've been able to make it work. And I feel like one of the things that I always encourage parents to consider is working at a startup. Because, yes, I work crazy hours. But at the same time, my kids are asleep by 730. So I can go home for dinner and then I'm working again at 730. Yeah, yeah. Um, and really, I think like startups should hire more parents because parents don't really have a life outside of their. I mean, hopefully they do. And they're using Urban Center <laughs> to support that. Um, but when they don't and they're working, um, you know, come seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night when your kids are asleep, you've got sort of a captive audience. Yeah. versus the young dating engineers. You're um, not like going to a club. Or no, anything like that. hopefully on the weekends when you're using your Urban Center. <laughs> but what's even more frightening is then you realize you're old because you come home and you're really excited because you've actually been to two places in one night. And then your Urban Center like puts on her fancy shoes and goes out and, and you're, you're like putting on your pajamas. So my, I, I asked that question cause my mom was an entrepreneur herself and she had a, a partner who was a woman as well. And they, they I think you said it perfectly. Like they kind of covered for each other. And I, some of my like fondest memories of my mom's partner were her name's Gail Worthington 
was when I would be sick and she would come over and bring me a toy or something like that as a kid. And it's like, it's, I think it's really cool. And you guys are all friends. Like you hang out outside of work. I think it's just a really special dynamic you guys have there. It's fun. Yeah. I like it. Oh, that's amazing. Now where, where are you like, where's the company going? Like, cause it, this is like what, three or four years into it now. Like it feels like you're on this really nice growth. I'm like, I'm super fired up for you. We're four years into it. Um, we're definitely seeing growth in our biggest markets where we've focused the majority of our marketing dollars. We're also starting to see, um, other use cases. So we have people coming to Urban Sitter to find their nanny. Um, oh. You know, one a common use would be, oh, you know, I my kid goes to the Mandarin Immersion School and I don't speak Mandarin, but wow, you have these sitters that do. I'm going to hire one to come and work with my child. And we definitely see that as people stay on the platform, they use it more frequently. And so the use increases as they've been with us for a longer period of time. So it sounds like you're, if I were to put that into like math investor terms, your lifetime value of a customer is really, really high. Our lifetime value of our customer is high. I mean, imagine you find Urban Sitter when your child is six months old and you need some type of child care until they're at least 10 or 11. Oh or gosh. if you have crazy boys like me, maybe like 12 or 13. <laughs> <laughs> Off mic, and, uh, Linda just told me a story about her two, both her boys breaking their nose separately within a month of each other. So yes, they are crazy boys. Oh my gosh. So that means, so if you have a really big lifetime value of the customer, that means you can, you can spend like pretty aggressively on marketing. Like how do you, how do you trade off like, being aggressive about growth, but also being responsible about how much money you raise and you know how much preferences you have in the company and things like that. Well, we definitely set goals for ourselves. I did this at my last company too, where I said, okay, with the seed money, this is what I want to prove out. And if I can prove this out, then mm. I think this company should be able to raise and support an A. And then the same thing happened for the B. And so for us, it was really important to say, okay, in San Francisco, our original market, we want to be able to look at our customers and say, we're profitable on those customers by month three, month four, whatever it might be that we set the target as. Um, and we use that as a benchmark and said, when our business gets there, then we know we can take that and support growth in other markets as well. And so we're all, I mean, one thing I would say, we're all very different, but we're all very sort of quant focused. And, and our company in general has this culture of being very goals and numbers driven. And we're very transparent about that. And so I think even new employees understand like what we're striving to and, and how your actions need to, you need to be able to support the actions and whether it's how you spend your time or your money um, looking at the outcome. Yeah. So you said there's a ton of nuggets in there. So I feel like I'm just going to record that and like hit play for entrepreneurs I talk to. The, one of the things I picked up was like, you have a three or four, four month payback. That's insane. That's awesome. Like, how did you... In, in, not in all of our markets. Let's be, let's be clear. Like we said, hey, in our original market, yeah. let's get to that. And once we know that we can get to it here and we believe it's replicable, we tried some other markets where we used the same tactics and applied the same amount of marketing dollars in those markets. And we also learned quickly that, hey, for us, like don't go spend money in 20 markets. Focus double down in the markets where you're seeing growth because actually as your brand awareness increases, more of your traffic will come to you directly. You'll spend less per acquisition and you'll start to see the values of scale in terms of um, it being more viral. Totally, totally. And then I think the other thing, the macro thing you said, which I love, is like you basically are looking at milestones. Like you raise money on a specific milestone and it seems like that's clearly communicated between you, the investors, and the team. Like that's that's gold. That's like what a CEO should do. And we do it through the whole company. So we have our 2015 goals that the executive team buys into. Those should translate into department goals, which you as the individual, you know, I hope that within 90 days of you starting at Urban Center, you have your goal. You understand that what you're doing is contributing to those goals and how you're looking at improving those metrics. That's a, that's super interesting. Can you drill that? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's that's not something I hear 
almost ever. Like that's a pretty unique, I think that's really good management. Like, well, I actually have to give credit to, um, a couple years ago, we hired, um, Jessica Steele who had been at Pandora. She's now part of our executive team and uh, my partner in crime. And, um, she brought with her a really great discipline in terms of setting goals. And then since then our new VP of engineering kind of laid that out into the sort of the OKR philosophy and we've modified it to fit our company. And I, I'm making it sound like we're this like stodgy numbers driven organization. And I really encourage like creativity within that, like how we get to those results I hope that people are testing and failing and testing and failing um and as we see those successes like obviously doubling down on them but I think having that framework like you need that framework to even one of the biggest problems at a startup is you have limited resources and a lot you want to do so creating a framework that then lets people figure out okay those are the priorities what am I going to do creatively within that framework is actually in my opinion better and community and just getting people to buy into that is really amazing. I mean, that's why you guys are a successful company. That's really cool. Now I, we, and unfortunately I apologize. We got to wrap up. This is kind of a, we were, we were chit chatting so much before cause we're friends and it's fun to talk that we, I don't think we left quite enough time for the podcast, but we'll fix that. We'll, Lynn will come back. What's, what's like your, like there's all these budding entrepreneurs out there who listen to this and like you were one of them, you started a couple companies, but this is like your big potentially a big win, like a life-changing company that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life. Like, what do you say to those people? Like, how, how do you help them get going? Like, is there one piece of advice that really helped you? Or is there one action you took early on that just made all the difference for you? It's something that you and I had talked about that I would say is like, I think the early investors you get are incredibly important and finding people who are your early investors that really get your business and making sure that when you bring them on as investors, that you say to them, this is what I'm I'm striving to do with this money. Like, do you and I both agree that if I hit this outcome, that means success? And having those people who have your vision and being really clear, like make sure that they're not just nodding. They're like, okay, yes, I understand that when you say growth, you mean this. Yes, we agree. But getting investors that are supportive and have been through it themselves before, and not just at bigger companies, but specifically at the stage that you're at, has that's been really helpful for us. And I, um, whether it's to people who are starting a company that are looking for funding or just finding advisors, like looking for advisors that have been in the place where you are right now and have grown something. I think that those type of people can be the most helpful. That's amazing advice. Like agreeing on a milestone, making sure on the same wavelength with your And by the way, you love your investors. I, I tell you this all the time. Like you love your investors maybe more than any CEO I know. Like talk, who, who's been hugely impactful for your company out of your investors? I mean, they've all been really impactful for this stage. So first round capital led our seed round, Canaan led our A and DBL led our B. And I'll give you an example. So for instance, in the seed round, Rob Hayes from first round capital um, led it. And we met with him for half an hour and told him our business idea. It was one of the most intense half an hours I've had, but he <laughs> totally got it. And I'm like a very direct person. And I'm yeah. like, listen, I want to get the most out of my time with you. I don't have a lot of time. And so I knew right away out of that half an hour meeting, like, okay, he's the kind of guy, like we're going to, he's going to be straight with me. I'm going to know when he likes what we're doing and I'm going to know when he doesn't. But when he doesn't, he's actually going to be really helpful in terms of how he guides me because he has all these other companies at the same stage. Um, and I could say the same, I, I could take that same compliment and pay it to all my other investors at the different points that they've helped us. And so I think, you know, I would, I would say that finding the right people for the right stage that we're at has been really important. That's amazing. I I mean, I met with John Balin on an introduction from you and he like, it was like he was talking about like a family member when he was talking about you. Like he loved you so but much. But family member is a good analogy because 
companies are messy, as are families. And so you want someone who you can jive with them when things are going well, but things don't go well. And so even in the best companies, things happen. And so you want someone that you're like, okay, you know, when the shit hits the fan, are you and I still going to be able to get through this? And are we going to get through it in a positive way? And those are the kind of people you want as your investors. That I Very well said. All right. Well, we got to wrap this up. I'm so Thank sorry. You. It's so fast. Lynn, just tell everyone where they can find Urban Sitter. Tell them about just... Give them, give them the quick pitch here. Sure. So we are located nationwide. It's urbansitter.com. And if you have kids, it's a great way to find childcare. And if you don't and your friends aren't going out with you that have kids because they say they can't find a sitter, uh, send them there. Awesome. And I have to say, I have a lot of friends who are married and have kids, and I do not take... I can't find a babysitter as a, as an acceptable answer anymore. Cause all I do is just text them urbansitter.com and I demand they find a babysitter that night so they can go out with me. And just to finish up, how would you describe urban? How, how did Andrea Barrett describe urban sitter in five words? What was it? You guys were winning an award and how did you describe we it? We won an award and she could only use five words. And she said, because mommy needs a drink too. <laughs> all right. We'll end it with that. Thank you so much. Thanks.